When there is not enough to eat, people starve to death. It is better to let half the people die so that the other half can eat their fill. Mao Zedong. In 1958, Chairman Mao Zedong had grandiose plans to bring China out of its rudimentary economy and form her into an industrialized paradise. The West was far ahead of China economically, and no cost was too high to catch up with the Western world. His plans were to be accomplished in a mere 15 years. This plan was known as the Great Leap Forward. The Chinese propaganda machine began its work to bring about its desired revolution. They began with farming. It started with the confiscation of farmland from landowners. The peasant classes were unleashed with absolute confidence in their historically self-perceived victimhood from wealthy landowners. There was a peasant revolution of sorts that aided the government's work of confiscation so it could be redistributed to its peasants. The methods of the government-backed peasants were brutal and led to the execution of one million landowners. Things started off well enough for the peasants after receiving farmland in the redistribution from the government. In the first two years, they had enough to eat and the state took only a reasonable amount of grain and taxes for use of the land. During these first few years, the peasants were doing so well that they offered tithes and offerings to Chairman Mao. He became a sort of Lord of the Harvest. But Chairman Mao became quickly uncomfortable that a new class of landowners would be created that would be equally difficult to uproot. These peasant families were made to give the land to the community, opening the door for Chairman Mao's vision of a new human lifestyle. Communities were organized into collectives consisting of up to 2,000 families. They owned nothing, houses, animals, land, tools, even pots and pans became the property of the collective. People were not allowed to cook their own meals anymore. Nurseries and compulsive schools freed women from their maternal duties to work in the fields of progressive China. The family unit disappeared. Children were taken from their parents and given to the collective for care and education. All men and women were in separate barracks. They were forbidden from living a normal married life. The sexual relationships between husband and wife were regulated. If men and women were caught having relations outside of regulated times, they were publicly humiliated, leading to a massive number of suicides among women out of shame. The government controlled everything, even down to the planting distance between rice seedlings. They dictated when, where, and how certain crops were to be grown. Having such tight-fisted control over the farming practices of these collectives meant that the crops were grown in the wrong fields at the wrong time. The resulting harvest dwindled. Less and less food was being produced. The little that was produced was shipped to the Soviet Union to pay interest on loans for factories purchased by the Chinese government. The people had no families, they had no money, they had no food, and they had no possessions people began to starve. Entire collectives were starving to death in one of the greatest famines in modern history. One report shows the horrors of the length starving people will go through to get anything to eat. A Chinese government official had heard rumors of a community that was attempting to sustain themselves on a very strange food. This official, desiring to confirm these almost unbelievable reports, 
traveled to a remote province in Szechuan. The sounds of the village greeted him before the people. These sounds were not what one would expect to hear on the outskirts of a village. The sounds of children playing and people chatting, and it was not the sound of men working and animals complaining. He was greeted by the sounds of agonizing death moans. One can imagine with what great hesitation he slowly walked into the village where he found people waiting in line, naked, their shriveled bodies baking under the heat of the sun. With shock and disgust, the official saw at the front of the line what appeared to be a massive mud pit. This mud was a white porcelain-colored mud the locals called Guan Yin. The next person in line reached into the white mud pit and shakingly grasped a handful of the mud and began to eat it. Mud, you see, when consumed by humans, begins to dehydrate in the bowels. It eventually turns into concrete, leading to a slow, agonizingly painful death. One has to think that the official witnessed one of the closest things to hell on earth. That village in the Szechuan province had consumed over 550,000 pounds of mud. The Chinese government has been slowly declassifying its meticulously kept documents. Chairman Mao's glorious plan of the Great Leap Forward led to the deaths of 45 million people. The King's Hall podcast exists to make self-ruled men who rule well and win the world. I'm a little bit uh, speechless here, Brian. Yeah, that, that's horrible. How do you even intro an episode after a story like that? I don't know. When we, so we talk about our cold opens. These are, you know, these stories or anecdotes or quotations that we begin these episodes with. And uh, usually we've we've all read them and heard the story in, in this instance just because of our recording schedule actually we, we kind of knew the topic uh but dan had had not shared the the outline with us from this cold open so that's the first time eric and i heard that story and i'm 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 pretty speechless that's yeah that's that is horrifying literally jaw-dropping you would be shocked to hear the um or read what i read on the events around this it's actually some of the most horrifying things i've ever read yeah, it's interesting too, Dan, because like as obviously as you're reading that, I'm thinking of things like even the terminology, mm-hmm. like what was it, the great leap forward, right? Yeah, you know, the, the build back better, the whole like you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. Yeah. Um, but as we p- unpack statism today, yeah, uh, we find that a lot of it just adds adds up to total atrocity. It does. That's where it's going. It yeah, does. I mean, if you guys are interested in learning more about this, there are actually documentaries that are free on YouTube, and there's video of these camps. Really, and you'll see like. The cutest Chinese babies that are all locked up in cages singing about the glories of socialism. Evil. Yeah, just pure evil. It's interesting, too, because even somebody like Jordan Peterson, you know, they, I asked him, you can read 12 Rules for Life, whatever, but you yeah. ask him, like, why are you so anti-statism and, and communism? He said, just read the history. Read the history. Read the history. Yeah, it, it, welcome back to the King's Hall. And I'm, I would say I'm sorry if we ruined your your day with that cold open if, if you're haunted by that. But that's kind of the point of an episode like this um, where we're taking up this entry in the confession, the creed of the idolatrous high places of autonomous man. And, and if you remember from a few episodes ago, the culmination of this creed, the confession of faith that marks modern secular humanist man 
is the confession that man is God, right? That when, when you talk about Nietzsche and the death of God, and killing God, and, and, and this modern aspiration and delusion that we've, that we've killed God, the, the problem is that man doesn't just see the death of God as the death of God. Man sees the death of God, like we've said, as a job opening, and it, it immediately applies for the position himself and appoints himself God. And one of the things that we hope to convince you of through this season is not just that we ought to be about the work of building the new Christendom because, oh, you know, it's one great option in our political theology, but but because the alternative, the alternatives historically, not theoretically, but historically speaking, the alternatives to Christ-like Christian rule among men, to rule in the name of God, with the law of God, by the people of God, is always a death cult. It's always a death cult. And so that's what we're going to be talking about in this episode today, the idolatry of state, statism, one of these great green groves in the the land of Canaan or on our job site where we'd like to see the new Christendom go up, that will need to go. This, This idol that we need to not handle gently, but that we need to take up the ax in the spirit of Boniface and... And go and go bring down a rain of blows upon it. And stories like the one that you heard from Dan in our cold opening are just a taste of the the misery of the demon gods when you worship them hmm. and, and these men as you worship them. So today in our episode, we'll be taking on this issue of statism and the idol of state under three main headings. And the first thing we'll we'll aim to do is is just simply uh, discuss the defining characteristics and origins of statism, as in what what do we mean when we say statism, and where does it come from? What sinful urge of fallen man gives rise to this idea of the state as God, or the state as the locus of the divine on earth? Second, we'll talk about what happens when you get statism. What happens when you say the state is God and you get what you want? What happens when you do that? What is the fruit? And obviously, We've already hinted at some of the fruit. It's, it is horrific. Uh, but here we'll see why statism is the antithesis of Christendom and why it's such a key center of idolatry that must go for our cathedral to go up. And then finally, in the third heading of this show, we'll talk about how the church has been complicit in the rise of modern statism, as well as some of the key ways that we can fight back against this demon god and this idol. So so first, guys, what is statism? When we say that, what, what are we talking about? Yeah, statism, is, in modern iterations, you've heard things like fascism or communism or socialism, and essentially it's a totalitarian style of government, which is, again, a modern iteration. But you see this throughout human history. You have like Artaxerxes or Xerxes, uh, who is saw himself as God, as the head of the government, it's a, it's a totalizing view of the king or the ruling officials as God over its people. And we'll get into the details in the future of what, what this God demands mm-hmm. from the worshipers, from its subjugants, you know, yeah. uh, what tithes and offerings and what yeah. it requires of sacrifice from the people. But boiled down, it's, it's a government that is swelled beyond its God-ordered size. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, I think fundamentally it 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 is the God state, right? Right. It's a it's an object of worship. This is in the New Testament. 
uh, when we have language like Caesar is Lord, that's fundamentally what's happening. Right. Um, and what it, I think it is, we've talked about sphere sovereignty, things like that. You have yeah. the individual, you have uh, the family, the church, and then the state. Usually under statism, it's just the state is everything. Yes. Um, and, and I would say you can see that typically in America. I remember Obama giving one of his State of the Unions, and he said, these are the things we're going to address in the new year. And I was just cataloging them and thinking it was education, it was your children's sexuality, it was you know, welfare, health care. And so really what they're saying is the state lays claim to every square inch of existence and reality. So interestingly enough, this is what Rush Dooney actually goes back and um, he, he's pointing to Pharaoh and what's happening in Egypt in the Old Testament, early chapters of Genesis included. And he's actually saying, and all the way to Moses, Moses excuse me, but he's actually saying this is functionally statism, uh, which is happening. Right. Yeah, I mean, you even see this, again, we're talking about today, since we're talking about building the new Christendom, we are, especially at the end of the show, going to get very practical about our current context and the type of statism that you see today. But statism is not a new thing. I mean, you can go all the way back to 40 BC, so 40 years or so before Christ is born, a coin is struck in Rome, and, and on one side it has the two-headed god of Janus, with uh, well, I mean, on one side has Janus the god, and then Julius Caesar is on the other side. Uh, and so, I mean, basically, I think if memory serves, um, the inscription under this coin is something like uh, "Divine Caesar, the Son of God." And so, I mean, you see this all the way back in Rome. We could go back to Pharaoh and and Pharaonic Egypt, and you'll find that uh, the head of state is collapsed into also their head of their religious cult. So you see Pharaoh as the descendant of the sun god. And I like how Joe Boot puts it in his his great book, The Mission of God. I think it's called The Mission of God, A Manifesto of Hope in Society, something like that. And, and he talks about, I don't have the quote in front of me, but he talked about statism as this idea that the state is the manifestation of God on earth, or it is the locus, like it's the center of, of the expression of divine power on earth. So so the state is God. The state, anytime you begin to see the state take on to itself power that rightfully belongs either only to God himself or to some other sphere of authority as defined by God himself, you're seeing statism. For the project of this season to be successful, the project of seeing a new Christendom built, There will need to be thousands and thousands of Christian men and women who are equipped to stand for the truth of Scripture against the errors of both the liberal church and the pagan culture. This is one reason we're so glad to be partnering with our sponsor for this season, Reformation Heritage Books. Reformation Heritage Books offers a large selection of helpful and theologically rigorous resources on everything from biblical theology to history to blue-collar family discipleship the type of library and resources that could make the kind of men and women I just described grounded in the rich heritage of the Reformed faith. We'd like to highlight one resource in particular, their Family Worship Bible Guide, that presents rich devotional thoughts on all 1,189 chapters of the Bible, including searching questions to promote conversation and to help you in leading your family in such a way as to say with Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Tap the link in the description of this episode to pick one up today. Yeah, the other interesting thing, you know, connecting it to last week, uh, last episode with uh, sexual revolution, 
Um, you can see this in the French Revolution, but you know, there's always been this idea throughout world history. These ideas always go together. That the way that statism, political tyranny, and things like that, the way that you get there is through sexual revolution. Interesting. Yeah. So the the French, you know, they're distributing, you know, Marquis de Sade. They're distributing pornography because if they they have to undermine the family uh-huh. to make the state all all powerful. So you got to undermine sexual mores, stuff like that. You can even look back at Moses. Um, they're making the golden calf, but what are they doing too? It's basically an orgy down in the street uh, that Moses got to confront. So anytime you find statism, you're going to find sexual immorality as well. Uh, yeah. I think you hit it on the head. It The sexual immorality destabilizes families. That's right. Families can't exist. Uh, men and women can't have uh, unbro- unbroken covenants yeah. with sexual immorality. Those covenants are are, are gone, and not only that— um, but sexual sin is actually a sin against the body. And so there's, it's destabilizing in every way. Yeah. So I, I, I think that's really at the core of that. The sexual revolution, it destabilizes families, which is the family unit should be one of the most powerful things in any yeah. society, in any Christian society. The family unit should be the the core that holds right. it together. It's the, it's the, it's the basic covenantal unit. It's the basic unit with which God works families on on earth. And and I think something Doug Wilson says comes to mind here um, related to this idea of sexual immorality as a tool of the, of the deified state it, it, is that sin is like grapes. Sin grows like grapes. It, it, they come in clusters. So when you're in the New Testament, for example— you know, in Colossians, Paul says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. He talks about anger, wrath, slander, malice, and obscene talk. Like when you see uh, sins show up in the New Testament, they often are clustered together in these lists. And one of the reasons isn't just rhetorical. It's because that's how sin is in the world. When you see one sin, it's usually going to be a grape that is connected to a whole cluster of sins. And, and that something similar happens when you see perversions of the spheres of government is that you won't just see, for example, a society where one of the governments we're talking about, self, the family, the church, the state, these governments God has established in the world. It's not the case that you'll find a society where you have rampant disorder in the sphere of the state and all the other spheres are operating well. The, no, the sin is going to be clustered throughout. You're going to see individuals who are not ruled by the spirit of God and so master of their own spirits. And so therefore you're going to see households built by men and women who are not self-mastered and mastered by God. And so the households are disordered. Children are ruling instead of parents. There's inverse inversions of the hierarchy. You'll find churches therefore where you won't have godly elders. You'll have lady pastors and you'll have disqualified men and no church discipline and inversions. You'll have flocks that are led by uh, councils and committees of of loud women instead of godly male elders and pastorates. And then, of course, you're going to find states that are where the, the same inversion of hierarchy is happening, where the men and women have declared themselves God. And, and so they are not submitting to the rulership of the actual king of God himself, but they've seized that. So there's another uh, point actually from Joe Boot's book, The Mission of God, that that I just found really compelling. I read it a few years ago, and it was one of these points I had never thought of, never connected. But once I saw it, it was like just a light bulb coming on, and it explained everything. 
And his point was that anytime you have a culture that deviates from the doctrine of Christ that you find confessed at the Council of Chalcedon in 451, you will find statism eventually develop. Or that the urge behind statism is the same urge that that arises when you don't understand this key point that Chalcedon affirmed. Chalcedon affirmed against some heresies and some controversy about the doctrine of Christ that Christ is truly man and truly God, right? That he is, he's not, you know, a, a, a truly God who's pretending to be a man. Uh, he's not a man who became God or added some kind of like divine elements to himself. No, he's truly God and he's truly man. And his point was that that doctrine, that doctrine alone gives you the one bridge between heaven and earth. It gives you the one connection where man can ascend to heaven. And why? Not because man builds a deified state like the Tower of Babel to reach the heavens, but because the heavens come down in the person of Christ, take on true humanity, and then through his death, burial, resurrection, ascension, reign, and our union with him by faith, man can truly be united to the divine. Not, not to become little gods ourselves, but we can be reconciled cosmically to the divine. And, and so, because, I mean, man in his fallenness doesn't lose the urge or the desire to be at peace with God or to be in union with God. What he does is he perverts it and he makes himself into God or he comes up with some false God to be unified to or he tries to build his own, you know, Jacob's ladder, his own tower to ascend to the heavens. And so the doctrine of Christ affirmed at Chalcedon absolutely undercuts and destroys any notion that humanity is going to bridge heaven and earth through his own efforts. No, we need the God-man. Yeah, it's interesting. So the opposite of that would obviously be what, Babel? Like the Babelic instinct? Exactly. So I think, and that's something that we have to recognize, is fundamental to the human nature, especially the sinful human nature, is this, we're going to reject God, but it always results in we're going to do something else, and it always is this man-centered atheistic state building project. Exactly. Yeah, this is the sinful urge that that gives rise to the idea of the state as God. It's that mankind has a longing to be united to the divine. I mean, this is inescapable. He he will either try to make himself a god or he'll invent a god to unite himself to the divine. Yeah, getting to the heavens, I you know, I was thinking about this uh, even uh, Saturn 5 rocket center uh, Warner von Braun you know, builds his rocket, right? And he says, "Oh yeah." now that we built the rocket, we've transcended God in the heavens. Oh. So you, even in that, you see that instinct yes. occurring. And, and, and so you can just, tra- I mean, you can follow this trajectory. It's so obvious once you see it. And again, Joe Boot's book really just turned the lights on in this room of my mind for this concept that what is the deified state except man writ large? Mm. It's like, as soon as you make man into a God, you will immediately end up with the state as the ultra God because the state is just the absolute expression of human authority, human ingenuity, human power, human, uh, you know, building. And hu- it's, it's, it's the, it is man writ large. Yeah, it's sort of the final fruit. I mean, even when we were talking about Carl Truman, uh, Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, he says, you know, first man must be psychologized, then he must be sexualized. And then finally, he must be politicized, or the self must be. Yes. So it's kind of this, you're following that progression Mm till you get to statism. Yes. Vis-a-vis sort of what we see a lot of that happening today out in the open. Yep. You know what I find to be particularly interesting is one of the main ways that God reveals who he is, his character, 
his morals is through his own law. Mm. And so this is one of the ways that you see states attempt to bridge that that gap from the from humane to the divine or yes. humanity to the divine is by declaring their own law. Uh. And it's all encompassing, you know, and it's it's world swallowing and it communicates exactly their character and their desires and mm. everything about them. And this is isn't this what God warned about in the Old Testament? With the kings, yes, he said, "Hey, you want to you want to be like the nations around you, which were they were statist. They had deified states. They had deified political centers, where the state were, was all mixed up with the priestly cult of the Canaanite or Molech religions." And so, eventually, Israel says, "Why can't we be like those nations? We want a king." And God says, "You know what the king's going to do? He's going to do what their kings do. He's going to take your children. He's going to start demanding things." To, to paraphrase. He will demand things that only God can properly demand. It's interesting, too, because like post-Enlightenment culture specifically was this rejection of uh, a covenantal relationship with God, really for the whole earth, right, through creation, if not through specific covenant with, you know, Christianity. Yeah. But it's interesting because you, know, you, you look at everything happening in our, our culture, particularly in June, and it's like everything that's happening to us is falling along the exact contours of the Deuteronomic curse. Yes. And and at the same time, we're claiming, no, 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 we're not under covenant with God. And, and I think this is central to the statism question. Really, people today want to say, the state is not subservient to Christ, and we're saying, yes, it is. Oh, yes, it is. It is. Yes, Everything it is. is. In fact, we're going to do a whole episode on this. I mean, we're going to do a whole episode in a few episodes, Lord willing, on city fathers and Christian governance and not just this negative against statism, but yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That we're, we're talking about this inescapable reality of covenant blessings, covenant curses, covenant relationship between God and peoples. And, and so of course we want political rulers who are in covenant with God. Of course we want that. Like we always say, you know, you hear people say, well, the kingdom of the kingdom is not of this world. And so, you know, we shouldn't want a Christian government, you know. We, that we, would be theocracy. That'd be theocracy. And you're like, um, well, here's the problem, guys. What's the alternative? It's not no theocracy. It's just theocracy with a different theo, with a different God, different theos. You know, you, you, you always end up with a different God at the top, but it is inescapable that because government is, is fundamentally a, an ethical institution, it's about... Uh, you know, as Romans 13 says, it's a min the, the government, the civil magistrate is a minister of God to praise the good and punish the wrongdoer. You're always going to have the government trying to do that. And the only question is, which God is going to be defining the good, which God is going to be defining the wrongdoer, defining the, the, the one the ministers to praise, who will define the, 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 the guardrails around the exercise of his sword that he's given, and who that sword is going to be pointed at. Well, that, that, that's the whole point, right? The episode we did with Yuri, uh, Pastor Yuri Brito, was homo adorans. Like, yeah. we are worshiping creatures. So the real question is, we're going to worship something. Yes. And that whatever we worship is going to directly relate to what kind of government we institute. Yes. And it will demand of us worship. Yes. If you make the state of God, it will demand, like, like again, back to that God warning Israel, he said, well, they're going to they're gonna demand a tithe from you. They're going to tax you at as astronomical a rate as 10%. Like, they're going to steal you your that. sons for war. <laughs> yeah. Can you believe that? 
like not only did that co- that covenant curse come true that they would demand a tithe of our income, like a ten percent tax bracket would be just like well, it, chef's kiss. It is interesting where God says that the kings are going to demand this. They demand your sons. What does God demand of the firstborn? The firstborn to breach the womb is mine. Yeah. Take your sons, yeah. your tithes, your offerings, everything. And I did want to say just defining our terms. One of the things that the state does necessarily is it legislates morality. Yeah. You said it defines what is good. Yeah. You know, that's another way of saying it legislates morality. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's, but Dan, I thought we weren't supposed to legislate morality. <laughs> I don't know how to do that. I don't, I don't know, know how, how to, that's even possible. How do you legislate anything else? Well, I that's mean, a it, good question. It really how is a good you question that, because a, a lot of people <laughs> make that claim. I think post enlightenment yeah. claim that there's somehow a category that's amoral. Yeah. And that's impossible. It's it's utter nonsense, utter nonsense. All legislation, all juridical matters, all, all like virtually every matter of state is a matter of applied ethics. It's saying what are the who gets to decide what the boundaries of the authority of the state is, what is good, what is bad, what is you know not only what is good and bad, but what is sin and what is crime. Because there's a difference yeah. between those. Like when your kid lies to you about whether they snuck the Cheetos from the cabinet, which are full of seed oils, so you probably shouldn't have them. Yeah. But you know what I'm saying. <laughs> and so when I, they lie to you, do you call the police? Well, no, because you understand there's a difference between a sin and a crime. Correct. Well, who gets to decide where that line is? It's going to be the God of that system. It's going to be the ultimate authority of that system. And so, so wrapping up this first section here, the issue that you always have is that you will always either have a government that is in submission to the true and living God so understanding what the good, the true, and the beautiful is, understanding its own authority and the edges of its own authority, and so you know, serving the people as a minister of God, restraining evil, punishing the wrongdoer, executing murderers, doing all of that work that protects society and restrains evil, or you will have a government, and this is the only other option, that in some way ends up functioning as a God mm. and enforcing its own morality, its own definition of sin and crime, its own definition, it's, it will start praising what it says is the good and putting up rainbow flags everywhere uh, and spending hundreds of millions of taxpayer dollars, you know, hypothetically to, you know, do all sorts of gay stuff uh, and or it will worship God. So that's what statism is. It's basically the worship of the state. It's a deified state and uh, it's a state that has swollen like a river that's swollen its banks and flooded into other areas where God did not give it authority, and yet it has seized authority and said, I'm in charge of that too. So so what happens when that river swells its banks? That's the second topic here. And, and maybe first, why is this, like, how big of an issue? I, I think we can all agree that statism is an issue. How big of an issue is it? Yeah, I think the the grand revealing, the grand apocalypse has been the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, I remember reading Doug Wilson for for a long time and some other people, too, who were warning about statism. In, in fact, I remember reading a quote from Francis Schaeffer. It's uh, R.C. Sproul saying, you know, near the end of his life, they shared a cab. And uh, he he asked Francis Schaeffer, you know, you're the, you've seen a lot. Um, you've been monitoring culture for a long time. And he said, what is the greatest problem facing America today? And he said, without hesitation, Francis Schaeffer said, statism. Wow. So that was, I think, in the 80s. Well, fast forward to now, and it's everything's been warp speed. 
So the yeah. things that these guys were predicting, e- even I was kind of like, I don't know, Doug, maybe slow your roll. <laughs> maybe it's not so bad. But I think in the last couple of years, especially, we've seen that actually it is that bad. People's cards have been put on the table. Yeah, I think that, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we, we have things now where the, uh, the Great Reset, it's all out in the open. Yeah. You know, they're saying like, you'll own nothing and you'll like it. Uh, but I think the other thing that we're tending to see is as the state grows larger and larger, those other institutions, family, uh, yeah. the individual and the church, grow weaker and weaker. Mm-hmm. And so we've seen that as well. In the last couple of years, I think one of the most shocking things was even like reformed churches were not pushing back against any tyranny whatsoever. Yeah. So they were just letting it happen. I, I knew of one church that it was like three months ago where they were like, okay, we just started worshiping again. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that would be uh, some serious red flags, right? Right. Oh, my word. But I think all of that has... You, you know, you can sort of see that, yeah, statism yeah. is ruling the day to such an effect that people don't even recognize that it exists. Wow. Yeah, that is absolutely true. Absolutely true. And I think Schaefer was prescient in that, that, the, you know, one of, the, one of, if not the biggest issue of the day. And, and again, they come in clusters. So in some ways, it's hard to, to say where the edge of one issue stops and another issue begins. Like, it's hard to say where the sex sins stop and the statism sins begin it's hard to say where the family issues stop because all these governments are just, they're intermingled. They overlap. You can't, again, you cannot have a healthy state without, a, with, uh, you know, without healthy families. And you can't have healthy families without healthy church. You can't have healthy church without healthy families. So there's a tremendous amount of overlap. But, but I do think that this issue of statism has to be one of the top three, top five issues facing Christians today. I, I also, sorry, Dan, I also think that, we have to wise up because a lot of people will say, well, nobody came out and said the word statism. And and so like, it's not, no out. one said pinch uh, some sin, some Caesar to yeah, Joe Biden. It's, it's not out in the open, but a good book I would recommend on this is the Google archipelago, the Google archipelago. Mm. And the fundamental thesis of this book, it was written, released at the beginning of 2020, right before COVID hit. Oh, wow. So one of the things they said is mirroring communist capitalist, China, they're kind of a mix actually. Um, what the U.S. has done is they've actually started to use corporations. So th- imagine the guy's writing this. It releases like January 2020. Mm-hmm. And he's saying, listen, what's going to happen is that the government is now using corporations to enforce all of its mandates. So yeah. it doesn't look like statism. Google is the largest monopoly probably in the history of the world. Oh, yeah. They make John D. Rockefeller look like child's play. Right. They control so much. They control the information that we get. And so anyway, companies like that are the ones who are actually firing people for not getting the jab, right? They're the ones who are enforcing, we're finding this out all over the country, they're enforcing diversity, equity, and inclusion hour in a company meeting. Yep. Can you imagine if those same companies had like a prayer time? Oh, un- I, right. Un- it just shows you how far we've come. So I think that's that's one reason that people say, oh, there's not statism, you know, and there's, a, you know, well, go start your own country, you know, go start your own, <laughs> yeah. your company. And, yeah. you know, when, when you have, when you have big pharma, big tech, big government, uh, big, big medicine, yeah. all these things it, with big government, again, just like it's hard to tell where one problem starts and one begins yes, or, or one ends, it's really hard to tell where private starts and government ends yeah as it continues to swallow more and more and more you know this is actually a harder question to answer than i had first thought how big of a problem is statism because in you know francis schaefer i think he's right it is the problem but is it a really a problem or is it a symptom of a problem 
Yeah. Right. That's really the question, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yeah. Because especially when you have a representative democracy or representative republic like we have, what you have in the government is a representation of what the people want. They've actually, yeah. re- they, they have representation in the government for their desires. They yeah. vote for what they want. And you can listen to any politicized speech from any politician and the different things that they're, they're stumping is how they're actually going to spend the money that they're stealing from you. Nobody's saying actually like, I'm going to give it back to you yeah. because the government is swallowing every aspect of what it means to be human and uh, in civilization with one another. Yeah. Even like yeah. you said, privatized companies, it becomes really difficult, especially with 2020. Now all of a sudden you're like, hey, I got grant money or free money yeah. for the payroll relief program. Yeah. And so even churches can get government money. Is it government money though? Who's the government? It's we the people. Yeah. Right. It's uh, And so it's really difficult to say like, is statism the problem? And the, the answer is yes. And it's because- of the people who decided that's what they want. They they voted for the monsters that they now have that are now ruling over them. And that's what false gods always do. Exactly. Well, I I think they're it's like a yes, that's true. And I I would also offer sort of like on the other side Christopher Lash his book The Revolt of the Elites. And one of the, like you can look at any society, fundamentally the elites tend to rule society. That's not true post you know, I mean that is still true post Soviet Russia, you know, that we didn't do away with that structure. Right. So I think one of the things you see in the U.S. is, you know, I would argue that certain things are being stolen. Like when you go to booths and you cast your boats, I think there's actually real evidence. <laughs> oh, yes. Trying to get around the censors. <laughs> so, well, here, here's the thing. As you start to look at these things, my, my point in all this is saying there is a ruling class that is forcing things down people's throats. Yeah. Like. A year and a half ago at the Chiefs game, opening day for the Kansas City Chiefs, they play the Black National Anthem. It, it's like a BLM thing. Is there a Black? There's a Black National yeah, Anthem? Yeah, there's a Black National Anthem. Is the normal National Anthem the White National Anthem? I guess. I didn't even know that. Okay. Yes. I thought so, the White National so, Anthem was Monday Night uh, Football. Backstreet, Backstreet Boys song, but anyway, keep going. Well, also. Back. All right. Should I call you Mr.? So they play this on Monday Night Football. And it was an interesting spectacle to see because yeah. you're in the you're in the heartland of America, right? In Kansas City, right? This is Middle America, Red State America at its core. Yeah. And they play this, and what happens on Monday Night Football? They boo. Oh. All you hear is boos, and Michelle Tafoya says, "Well, that was not received well." So what struck me about that event, and this is what I'm getting at, is there is stuff being rammed down people's throats that they may not actually be voting for. But to quote Joseph Stalin, silly man, it's not the people who cast the votes that matter. It's the people who count the votes. Who count them. So I I think there's more afoot. That's my point. Hey, I agree. My definition was simplified because there are other powers at play. But here's the thing. The people aren't universally uh, insulated or protected or defended against these ideas. Because imagine going to to, um, the Middle Ages Europe. And trying to push some of the things. I mean, like people are just steeped in Christianity and in biblical thought yeah. and teaching. There's no way that any of these ideas get any foothold, foothold at all. In fact, the people would laugh at them or prosecute them and you know one hang of those, them. One of those. Something actually, like that. But I actually, I think you're right, and I think yeah. that what's happening to America is 
like Doug Wilson says this, right? The punishment for sin is more sin. Right. So I think that we got those elites mm-hmm. because we are being judged because we gave away. Yeah, we said church, go- govern family. me harder, Daddy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so God, God says, "Oh, you want Saul? Yeah, yeah. okay. Here's you Saul. got Saul. Yeah, yeah. and I, I, I mean, I, I know we're going to get into more of this later, so I don't want to get too far in front of us. But the propaganda machine is actually really effective in communicating and liturgizing the people yeah. as to the proper worship. So even in the cold open in Mao's uh, China, you had the propaganda machine turn on. And it fired up the peasants against the landowners because they were rooted. They actually had money. They had generational wealth that they had built up. They were providers for their communities and yeah. fed the nation. And that was an issue of rebellion for, for Mao and his, his, his plan, the Great Leap Forward. And so he essentially told the people that had a sin. I mean, I don't know how they were actually treated, but they had a sin of envy. And all he had to do is say, you're the victim. And these are your oppressors. Ah, yes. These are your oppressors, and so revolt and take what should be yours. Yeah, he just inflames that sin. That's that's exactly right. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so they did. Yeah, and there was a peasant uprising. Yep. So, and so I don't know if you could connect that to today's world, but anyway, moving on. The, the scriptures compare the the deified state, this statist world, to a beast. I mean, you could you could just read the book of Revelation. You, you see, the scriptures compare the deified state to a beast. And, and one of the reasons I think that this is, obviously it's inerrant, so it's an apt metaphor. But one of the reasons I think it is such an apt metaphor, the beast, is that like a beast, the state just, it gobbles up every, like the river that's swollen its banks, it's also a beast that gobbles up every realm, all authority, and in this claim to be a god, and so, you know, I'll give you an example, and then and then I would I want your guys' take on this as well, because there are many areas where the state gobbles up things that do not belong properly to it. One example, again, from China that you told me earlier, if you're okay with me retelling this story that you gave to me as you were researching, is that it gobbles up the family. Like, you, in the cold open, you heard about children being separated from their families, you know, everything from sex to education being totally regulated by the state. Well, there's an example that, uh, you know, an older man goes and he's talking to his three-year-old niece or his three-year-old daughter. And uh, she, she asks him, uh, you know, uncle, what is the, what is it? Grandfather, uncle. He called, she called him Baba, which Baba. I think is father, father, or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Father. What is what, the son? What is the son? And he says, well, the son is a you know great ball of fire in the sky. And, and, uh, she says, you know, and keep, keep going dead. Yeah, fill, fill in the threads here. It's a yeah. great story. She says that the son is chairman Mao. And he says, oh, it's just a metaphor. And he thinks, how am I supposed to communicate a metaphor to a three-year-old? And so he says, yeah, you're right. It is Chairman Mao. And she says, no, but you said. You're a revolutionary. You're a revolutionary. That's what it was. You're revolutionary. And he says, yeah, you're right. Never mind. It is Chairman Mao. And she says, no. No, Baba. It it was a great ball of fire. You said that. the, And and the point is, the, the state so brilliantly in this demonic cleverness, uh, in this demonic play, gobbled up the family, gobbled up education. Well, and if you know the Fifth Commandment, especially the Westminster, on the Fifth Commandment, you know, it's actually rooted in obedience to parents. 
all government is rooted in obedience to parents. Right. Right. So if you get that wrong yep. and then you get to statism, you can understand why the state is then saying, well, in order to get us to be the only authority and, and look across history, every yeah. time you have statism to the max, yeah. you always have like reporting on parent structures. You find this in 1984, which is obviously fictional, but you see it in communism. And I think you even see this today. Uh, some of the things that we've addressed across America, you know, it was critical race theory, but now they've switched language. Now it's social emotional learning. And so what they're asking is kids, this is in American schools. They're asking kids questions about their parents. Well, have they ever said things that, you know, went against what you're being taught at school? Mm. And they're basically asking parents to report yeah. Yeah. Or, or children to repair, report on their parents. Yes. So I know I, I hate to talk about China again, but yeah. I mean, this is such a fascinating case study for me. And this is kind of off topic because we're we're talking about education and the family and everything like that but i think this story illustrates just the delusions that the false god of the state thinks it has control over everything so there is one point early on in this great leap forward plan that chairman mao uh said that there were pests four pests that were that needed to be eradicated yeah they they had millions of chinese people trying to eradicate and uh, sparrows Frogs, rats, and I can't remember what the last one was. Why but, people always got to be picking on the frogs? You know, <laughs> poor frogs. You know, they're now gay. So I don't. Frogs are all gay now. Yep, they put enough estrogen in the water. They're turning everything gay. So anyway, the sparrows though were the were really the thing that they focused on because they thought they were eating grain. And so what they did is they deployed millions of Chinese people. They would bang on pots and pans and not let the sparrows roost in any of the trees, and they would eventually fall out of the sky out of exhaustion. I'm telling you, you can go online and you can see videos of this. That's I'm not even crazy. making it up. They would have strings with sparrows tied on them, like tons of dead sparrows tied on them. They would eat them. There are no sparrows left, right? And what ended up happening is that there was a plague of locusts. Bugs, I'm not yeah. even joking. Yep. The insects were out of control and actually decimated their because crops. Because there were no sparrows. That's right. But yeah. that's, that's the power that the state thinks that they can wield is that they can even control nature. Well, I mean, in our country, birds aren't even real anymore. Well, no, they're not. I don't they never if, have been. Well, I thought it was in the 60s they were all replaced <laughs> with government drones. Well, and actually, in, I was going to say, in birds the U.S., we actually had a very similar thing with the pigeons. Um, they oh, they yeah. anni annihilated all the pigeons because they thought that they were bad. And then, you know, same <laughs> issues. Yeah. You know, had problems with bugs and sort of like, okay, well, now the bugs are a problem. Let's just use DDT. Oh, right. But I think it's this fundamental assumption, enlightenment assumption that science will save us. Yeah. But just like in Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, every time you trust in science to save you, you get a monster you didn't anticipate. Ooh. That, and this, I mean, even what a good illustration of the beast that, that it can't gobble something up without consuming it and killing it. It always turns to horror. Yes. I mean, that, that was the cold open is that you turn away from God, you build the God state. It's always a horror show. Yes. Another way that you can think about this, we, you know, a river swelling its banks, beasts gobbling up every aspect of authority to itself saying, I'm now the father. I'm now the mother. I'm now the king. I'm, I'm everything. The state saying, I'm in charge of how you spend your money. I'm in charge of what you eat. I'm in charge of 
who can give a haircut literally in America at this point. Yes. I'm in charge of everything. Another way that you can think about statism and the fruit of statism is that statism always is it's both built on and it establishes its own systematic theology where it tries to explain everything. Like hamartiology is the doctrine of sin, soteriology is the doctrine of salvation. It has its own, like Marxism has its own hamartiology, doctrine of sin. Sin is the basically uh, oppressors, power disparities, economic disparities. And so salvation, it's soteriology is the state coming in, leveling out all economic disparities, uh, it, you know, destroying this, you know, uh, what is it called? The, the bourgeoisie elite taking away the capital from them, the means of production. And they're going to usher in their eschatology, which is paradise through the, the state, got this godlike state that will save everybody from their sin. And so I think you see another aspect of statism is this establishing, another delusion of deity is it establishes its own systematic theology. Yeah, I think that's absolutely correct. Uh, I remember years ago uh, talking to some of the people at Samaritan Ministries, and they were saying, look, part of the the reason that we have such rampant, statist, aggressive control of things like th the welfare state, yeah, healthcare, the reason they're gobbling that up is because the church gave away a doctrine of charity. Mm. And so, you know, and of course the state's all too eager to grab onto that and, yes. and build from there. Look at education. It's the same thing. Yeah. That the government is going to be the one in charge of educating your children. You can look at certain states like Alabama. They spend more yeah. than any other state on education. They rank 52nd out of 50 states. Like, how do they even do that? How, how do you even pull <laughs> that one off? Well, so, so question. Let's, let's tease that out a little bit because yeah. I, I think you're right. How does the state produce economic slavery? How does the state corrupt true education? How does statism do that? Yeah, I think it begins. It's really helpful, actually, if you think about how a church is supposed to operate. How the church is supposed to operate. What do you do? You catechize your kids, right? Yes. You're supposed to catechize your kids. So what is the chief end of man? And the state is asking that same question. They're mm. asking that same question. They come up with very different answers, though. And like yeah. like Brian said, it's you know oppressor classes, inequality, uh, whatever they're teaching right now at the third grade class at the local public school down the street here in Ogden, Utah. And so you need to train your worshipers. You need to train them. You need to liturgize them and catechize them yeah. in the ways of the state as to offer pro proper worship. Even, even to the point, there's a, there's a gentleman here uh, who started a construction company. He's, he's, he's getting his general co contractor's license, right? And so he's required to take classes from the state and you would think it would be like, oh, here's a helpful class. Here's uh, building codes. Here's accounting principles. Here's some of the things to help you succeed. No, there's literally classes on how to pay taxes. Wow. That's what it is. It's classes on how to pay taxes. And so anyway, that's, that's, just, that's just for adults. But with our children, there's a reason that you're seeing the radical sexualization from our kids there's a reason that you talk to almost any high schooler right now and you ask them about furries. I don't know if we've talked about furries. I think we have. Ask them about furries. Oh, it's uh, a real thing. There was a school in Georgia that was putting litter boxes in the bathrooms for kids. No. Yes. Anthropomorphic dressed I want to get students. off this earth. I actually saw Elon, a furry the other day. Get me to Mars, Elon. I need to leave. We need to start a new Christian colony on on Mars. So That's what right. they're what they're communicating is just what the church would communicate. Who is God? Yeah. What well, is man? How do you rightly worship God? What is God? righteousness? What is evil? Yeah. 
And to Brian's sermon on Sunday, the fundamental takeaway, I don't know if this is the point of your sermon, but it was is what I took away. Yeah, yeah. Christ, when Christ is teaching, he's the son of the builder. The teaching is building a people. Yeah. And that's what you're driving at. Whatever yes. you teach is what you're building culturally. Yes. So this is why teaching is so foundational. The, the, the statists and the atheists and the, the secular humanists, they know that too. Yeah. And so that's why they're like, okay, we got to get in there ahead of the parents. Yep. And we got to teach these kids. We got to have things like Snapchat where we're infiltrating kids' teenage bedrooms. Yeah away from their parents. It's mm-hmm. a way to sneak in there and get information and teaching and really, Dan, catechism about what is the good life. Yeah, I, I know in, in Mao's China, in the cold open, I talked about how the state would take the babies into nurseries and yeah. then they would have their education for the kids. You didn't need to worry about that, so moms would be free to work. Ugh. And so it was not that long ago that we had uh, my eldest in speech therapy, and they asked, he was two and a half, I think. And they asked if he was going to go into three-year-old preschool. And I was like, what? Ugh. Three-year-old preschool? So they're they're taking the kids younger and younger. So you can go right from daycare yeah. into three-year-old state-sponsored preschool. This is why, you know, a lot of the strategy of, um, a lot of the strategy of successful statism in the modern West today has, I think, learned from some of the, the massive total failures of Russian and Chinese communism and those kinds of things and has adopted more of a Gramscian approach, yes, which is a slow, slow, long march through the institutions. Instead of saying, you know, like I'm not, I don't think Biden tomorrow is going to deploy the military to try and take the children and put them in cages. And instead what well, they've they done, don't they don't need to because they've done it slowly by winning the institutions and turning the heat up slowly. So parents now actually think like the like the old saying that if the government started teaching people how to tie their shoes within 10 years, people would actually believe that nobody could ever learn how to tie their shoes unless the government taught them. Yeah. They just start, they, they give you bait on a hook. What? They say, Oh, do you want free preschool? Yeah. Oh, do you want free, ed- free college? Oh, do you want, and, and what they do is they enslave you through your appetites, and then you don't realize that when you're giving your children to them, thinking, oh, mommy's going to get more time during the day now. She can go get a job so we can get a boat. You know what they're actually doing? They're saying, oh, we've just tricked you into letting us disciple your children. And making the wife a slave to the corporate state. All at once. Yeah. And you think you're getting something. Well, and what's crazy about it, you, you look at that whole matrix, and- most people today, like think about homeschooling. When we were homeschooling before St. Brennan's, yeah. people would ask us, they'd, be, they'd say, wait, are you allowed to do that? <laughs> so Am funny. I allowed? Yeah. And of course, I remember the Vadi Bakram. <laughs> he was like, you know who asked the question, am I allowed to educate my own children? He's like, sheep. That's right. That's who says that. Yeah, that's why they have to take the guns before they can take the kids. Yeah, that's right. In, in, in China, I mean, they, don't let them take your guns, people. Don't let them take your guns. Don't let them take your guns. Yeah, it's interesting, too. And, and, and this is one of the ways that statism, so I worked for the NRA for a number of years to a, uh, most of my career. Well, we just got canceled. We just got canceled. <laughs> Sorry, guys. If that was the worst we said, then- That was the last you'll ever hear of Eric Kahn. Yeah, that's right. But I think one of the things that, that I've learned from it, look, you can go back to David. My condolences on your- <laughs> Suicide, <laughs> I'm just sorry. Keep Dang going. It. Keep going. But I mean, you can go back to the days of David and Saul, and like you know, with the Philistines. What did the Philistines do? They banned the blacksmiths because if you didn't have a blacksmith, you couldn't beat your plow yeah. into a sword. Can't make a sword. You can't have weaponry. Yep. 
So, yeah, I would say absolutely that becomes a vital part of this. They know that. Uh, just this morning, I read an article on Fox News, and it was like, just the last month, there have been 248 mass shootings in America. <sighs> Most yeah. of them in Chicago. No, literally, like yesterday, this morning, there was a quote-unquote mass shooting, and it was a gangbanger in Chicago, and they got into a gang brawl, and he shot three people. Yeah. That's, you know, I mean, propaganda to the mass. That's actually a reason I need guns, not a reason to take them. Yeah, when you tell me that there are criminals shooting people, that doesn't tell me disarm. No, uh-uh, no. Yeah, it's like, and you'll have to stay tuned for our next episode on cuckold conservatism. Yeah, we're going to talk about one of the... Uh, one of the bat, one of the wrong answers to this problem of statism is this kind of libertarian cuckold conservative fever dream. That won't do it, you guys. Just just a heads up. You need something much more robust. You need something that much more rhymy with like um Flistian rationalism. Yes. <laughs> anyway. Flistian rationalism. That's not a thing. That's not a th- what it rhymes with the Christian. <laughs> It does. Mischief rationalism. Yeah. <laughs> so one of the I've I've heard people define the state in this way that's actually horrifying, and people don't even realize how much they're ceding to the state when they define it as the, an organization with a monopoly on force. Yeah, I Pe- think Elon Musk has said that. Oh, that's horrible. You cannot let the state have a monopoly on force. No, absolutely not. So we're already getting into this, and 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 we I don't want us to 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 run out of time here on this last section because this is really the meat and potatoes here where we're talking about how we're talking about Christians here. We're calling Christians to repentance and faith. That's what we're trying to do in this podcast. This Not is convinced. Dan's section. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, you say meat and potatoes, Wisconsin, That's right. Dan, this is this I is the cheddar you, I, I love meat worst. and potatoes. I have two T-bone steaks waiting for me at home to grill. Praise the Lord. They are cut to, I think, two inches thick. Oh, oh wow. I'm going to be uh I salted them last night and oh. put them in the fridge to dry you overnight. Know what? You know what the state wants to take away from you? Beef. Your beefs. They want to give you the bugs in the pod. Okay, here's the thing, you guys. We're talking to Christians. This is a clean segue back from that interruption. <laughs> we're, we're talking about Christians here. Christians being Christians, repentance, faith, building Christendom. And so judgment begins with the household of God. We need to start with this question of how the church has been complicit in the rise of modern statism and some of the key ways that we can fight back as Christians against this idol. So gentlemen, what are some of the ways the church has been complicit in modern statism? And and, and with each of these, how, how can we do better? Yeah, first of all, I think that the church has neglected in the right worship of the one true and living God. Yeah. Neglected in the regulative principle. And that sounds really probably obscure. And not not having proper ordered worship. Yeah. And being essentially people pleasers and mm. appeasing to the to masses pagans, and yeah. to pagans. Uh, they've abandoned right worship of the one true God. And what that does, what does the worship of the one true God do? What it does is it strengthens the people in their foundations, yes. in their principles, to where they will not capitulate. They will yeah. stand on the truths of God. They have to go to church every Sunday, and they confess their sins to the one true living God and are washed clean. They are singing the battle hymns of the church in the Psalms, in the hymns of the, of the great saints that have come before us. They hear the covenant blessings and curses of God's law, and then they go to the table and they feast and are built up by the body and the blood of Christ, and then they go out with their marching orders. That is how our worship is to be formed every week, week in and week out. 
And so because the church has neglected this, we've neglected proper worship to the one true God. Where are our principles? Everything that we've been trained to do in our worship ends up being capitulated. Yeah, that's right. It being We're capitulating to other gods then. And being willing to be catechized and to receive the liturgy of a false god. Yeah, and I think such a good outflow even of Yuri's interview uh, last week. Yeah, you know another another thing I I think you'd bring up that's really related to this is the way that the church and its worship and its teaching is handled. Something like the law and the gospel, where we've just adopted this dichotomized view of the law and the gospel, where they're like. In they are enemies. They're not friends. The law and the gospel are complete enemies. They they they, they, they don't. They're oil and water. And so we've adopted this preaching that is very hesitant to apply the word of God in applicational ways to preach the law and obedience to the law for Christians, and and that just gives birth to this truncated ethical, cultural, and political witness that that really doesn't know how to be a human being. So how do these people actually relate to the law, do you think? Do you think, because it seems like anytime the law is mentioned, they retreat quickly, like 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 cockroaches when the light is turned on and immediately go to the gospel and saying like, yeah. well, Christ did that for you, so don't worry about it. Is that shame of God's law? What is it? I, I honestly... Where you would adopt then some sort of common kingdom law as this is the law of the land is superior to God's law. Yeah, there, are mo- there are so many issues wrapped up in that. One of them, I think, is an embarrassment about the law of God. I think that there's an embarrassment there. But I also, I just think Christians have recently been trained in this gospel centrality movement to essentially treat the law with that one sermon all the time of, oh, hey, we just got to this passage in Colossians that says, put away all wrath. Okay, uh, and slander and malice and obscene talk from your mouth. But you know what the good news is, guys? Jesus never sinned in wrath, anger, slander, malice, and obscene talk. And by grace and through faith, his righteousness is credited to you. So just so trust in Jesus and be forgiven. Yeah. And it never moves from that to, and your new creations in Christ, created in Christ, the workmanship of God, created in Christ Jesus for good works that you should walk in them. You know what's really interesting then, sorry, Eric, is that the state comes in and actually gives applicational applicational theology. They say, here, here's slander. You are not to say no gay or whatever it is. You're not to say. You're not to say, you know, sodomy. You're not to say. Yeah, don't say that. You have to actually say rainbow flag. Don't say the monkeypox comes from having sex with men. Don't, well, if you're a man, I mean, if you're a woman, you can have sex with your husband, but <laughs> you won't get monkeypox. <laughs> you, you might get pregnant, which would be great. Build the kingdom. Amen. Hoorah. Okay. Anyway, this is getting away <laughs> from us. But you're absolutely right. Yeah. The government will see that. Va- there's vacuums are filled instantly. It's just perplexing to me yeah. that, that these Christians would reject the applicational theology of the yeah. church, but then wholeheartedly accept the application applicational theology of the state. Yeah. I think what we've seen though, is that the, the gospel centered movement, the gospel coalition, Tim Keller, John Piper, these people, this movement really has been the seedbed for statism. Yeah. So that's like the hot take. Oh, I mean, from me for today, but, but honestly, you look at it, John Piper, pietism, um, and you see what they've done in the last couple of years, you know, going hard at things like, well, you know, we shouldn't, basically we shouldn't vote for Trump. Shouldn't protect our wives against rape. 
yeah. th- these hyper pietistic positions that are, you know, they sound scriptural. Yeah. Yep. They sound godly. But fundamentally, I think it's interesting, like Dan, what Dan was saying, is that somebody is always going to step in with applicational law in those yeah. situations. It, it never just stays uh, there. And, and what's interesting, yeah. I think, is what we've actually found. If, if people haven't read it, I would encourage you to read it. Daily Wire, Megan Basham had an article on Francis Collins. Mm. It's actually showing how pastors were pushing the state's narrative yes. about the virus. They, so I think you can actually prove without question that m- most of the, the prominent evangelical leaders in America have actually been weaponized and partnering with the state to further that agenda. Yes. The, the, it, what, the, this is the play to simplify like some of what we're, we've been talking about. The, the church failed to preach the totalizing nature of the gospel of the kingdom of God. It reduced the God, the good news of the kingdom of God from the good news that Christ has come to forgive us our sin, to renovate us, to make a new humanity, to make a new kingdom, to adopt us, to arm us, to send us out, to conquer and colonize and disciple the nations. And instead, we got this truncated, oh, this is a lot of this, this whole season, this truncated, emotionalistic, shallow message of grace. And we've traded this redemption and renovation of humanity through Christ for cheap grace and spiritually impotent, easy believism. And what the state did is it said, oh, great, perfect. Easy prey for me to come in and disciple people in the totalizing message of the God of the state and to say, here's the catechism. Here's the good, true, and beautiful. Here's what you're for. I think the other thing here that's going on is what the church has done regarding the family. So the church, seeing that families are deteriorating, you know, talk about fatherlessness in black communities being one example Seeing that the family is deteriorating, this, the the church could have stepped in and said, "We need to bolster families. We need to be teaching like the Chris Wiley stuff thirty years ago about building a strong household." Yeah, we, we could have used strong teaching on masculinity twenty years ago. Right. We didn't get that. Yeah. And what the church did instead of trying to bolster the family, the mission of man, dominion, fruitfulness, all that, his marriage. Yep. Bolstering all of those things, instead, the church said, "We also will take those roles from the individual." The state gives you daycare. Well, guess what? We got childcare and children's worship. Yeah. You don't need to be in the service. Oh, preach. And anytime you have one sphere stealing the God-ordained responsibility of another sphere, yeah. it ends poorly. Absolutely. And the church has been just as guilty, I think, in many ways as the state has. Oh, yeah. I mean, the church has given its children to the state for education and discipleship. The church has taken the children out of the worship of God and given them some watered-down kids ministry version flannel graph flannel graphs and we've actually we we've had the audacity to think that we can do both of those things and that will be enough to keep our kids <laughs> that we can give our our children to the state for 15,000 hours by the time they're 18 and give them 45 minutes of flannel graphs on a sunday and that's going to be enough well and the thing is you got to understand the state is they've got a lot of power the public education mm-hmm. system has a lot of power and so how do christians respond most pastors today won't preach on any of the difficult issues of the day. Mm. They will not talk about public school. Yeah. They will not talk about oh, it. Oh, and if you so do, So if you're going to be ready. impotent like that in the face of an all-powerful state yeah. that's roaring like a lion, a beast, yeah. I mean, you're going to lose. Let, let, let me give you another one that's related here because I think this ties together and they go hand, hand in glove. The church has also allowed itself to become economically enslaved to wicked corporations on two mm. fronts. The church has failed to preach a robust Protestant work ethic and doctrine of vocation to men to say, men, don't 
settle. Don't just allow yourselves to be uh, sharecroppers on a woke globalist government corporation or a government corporation explicitly. Okay, so don't do that. And on the other side, send your women, send your young women to colleges for years to get into $100,000 of student debt so that we must have two-income households, so that mom can't be at home, so that the kids must be cared for by the government, educated by the government. The church has allowed it, and, and the reason I say it's allowed itself to be enslaved in this way is because, guys, those two issues that I just mentioned have been the reason more people have left this church, our church, Refuge Church, over the last five years than any other two issues, saying wives... Go home, go home, take John's, Johnny Mac's advice to Beth Moore, go home, put yourself to the hard work of being a productive homemaker, and don't let the, don't let the state educate your children in public schools, which is going to require men to work hard, be creative, take dominion in the economic sphere. And, and the church has just allowed itself to be so thoroughly played on both of those issues. Do you have any, either of you, any idea why? I know you guys have been counseling people here yeah. for a long time. It's a it's a tough issue. It's not actually that complicated. Yeah. But it's just very difficult. Why? Why is that such a hot-button issue? Yeah, I think that so much of the feminist movement has been really effective in telling women that your value is in being a man and bringing home a paycheck. That's where your value is. You yeah. need to actually be more like a man. And so that's been really effective in enslaving women in you see you see this like talking to younger couples that are dating in college and all of a sudden you're going to be married to a woman that has a lot of student loans. She comes with debt. And then maybe you become convinced that you should actually follow Titus, too, and she should stay home and build, yeah. build homes and I don't know, maybe grow eternal souls. Yeah. You know, right. and nurture them. And then you're saddled with a whole bunch of student loans. But this is a this is a hot butt issue because the identity of women they've been told through their whole lives that your value is in your work, in what you're doing, and and it has to look like a man. Yeah, they, they they've again Gramsian, not yes. Zedong. They've 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 aimed for the same ends as Mao Zedong and the Great Leap Forward. Yeah, it's just a lot slower. They've done it slowly over institutions, undermining yeah. the family, undermining the father, introducing sexual immorality, in saddling people with debt. Doing, I mean, offering easy, cheap, cheap. They're twenty thousand dollars a year per kid, but free to you alternatives. So you can, we'll take your kids. We'll take all your duties. They are being a bad father. Yeah. Who would take instead of allowing his his son and daughter to grow into a man or a woman, to treat them like a perpetual adolescent. And this is actually something the Chinese have figured out. So the difference between Mao and now and now, right, is really a change from 1984 to Brave New World. Exactly. They realize like I don't actually have to like put somebody in prison, right, and kill them outside the Uyghurs. We do that with them. Yeah. Um, the Chinese do, but. What they realize is if we just give them a smartphone and Snapchat and Netflix, yeah. we can control their mind and yeah. con control everything about them. And here's yeah. the deal. People, you know, the other the other thing that we've, you know, haven't really talked as much about, but think about things like pornography. Yeah. When a culture is awash with pornography, which are, you know, it's delivered in like everywhere. Yep. Smartphones, computers, you name it, TV, Disney. Yep. You have a culture of shame. And so that culture is not going to be courageous in pushing back against no. anything. It's saddled with guilt. They, they have so many hooks in them 
Yeah, have we talked about that here? This this hook of guilt. I'm it, not sure Ben was talking it, about it yeah, in a recent episode. We guilt did. guilt puts a hook in your in your flesh. Yes, and hooks a big heavy iron chain to it. Yep. And whoever holds the other end of that guilt chain, they can manipulate the heck out of you. Well, think about what is happening with you know Black Lives Matter. So many Christians played in the the CRT racial reconciliation game, but it's fundamentally like you've committed the sin. You can never atone for it. No one can yeah. atone for it. And you have to spend your whole life paying reparations. Yeah. Compared to the gospel, right, which is like you're forgiven. Amen. It's over today. Yeah, you're clean. You walk out clean day one with yes. the gospel. The guilt is removed. You are bought with a price. Your whole self belongs to the king, but he is a true king. He's King Loon. He's a good king. He frees. He adopts. He, he already gives crushed life. the head of the serpent. He's he, he's destroyed, defeated death. He's not like that's the problem. Is that any other god you replace the true and living God with is a god of death. It's the it's the god of the Aztecs. It's the god of the communists. It's the god of the Marxists. It's the fill in the blank. They all kill. Only only Christ frees. And and, and so in in the next couple episodes, we're going to be talking about first. We're going to talk about one of the wrong answers, like we mentioned already. Because there's an easy answer that a lot of people that we want to reach for because it looks good, it looks attractive, but it's a horse and a chariot that's rented from Egypt and it will not save you. We're going to talk about that next episode. It's a kind of conservatism that will not save you. And then in the the episode after that, Lord willing, we'll, we'll take up this issue of what does Christian governance look like? If the God is not the state, if the state is not God, well, is the state bad? Should we have states at all? And the answer is, Yes, we, we, we don't, we're not anarchists. We don't just go from statism to anarchy. No, there is such thing as a Christian view of the state. So we're going to talk about that, Christian city fathers, in the next episode, or in two episodes from now. And uh, let, me, let me just give you a quick plug here to start. We've still got, we've still got some road ahead of us here in season one, but, but here at the King's Hall, we're starting to think about the next season of the King's Hall podcast. And I just want you to get fired up now because we're going to be talking in the next season about some of the foundational issues that have led to a world where the state thinks it's God. And so we're very excited as we prepare that next season for you guys to be praying for us as we uh, get that content together. We hope it's helpful to you. Make sure you check out uh, our sponsor for this season of the King's Hall Reformation Heritage Books. Head over there and again, you, you can't have a godly Christian view of the state if the other spheres are in disarray. We need self-ruled men and women who are catechized according to the true and living God. We need solid families who are worshiping together. We need Christian churches who are properly holding the line against tyranny and understanding the limits of obedience to civil authorities and understand the scriptures. And so we'd we'd invite you to check out Reformation Heritage Books. They've got a whole library of resources, uh, both modern and from our Christian forefathers, that will be helpful in developing uh, a thick Christian worldview. Uh, And with that said, thank you for listening. Thanks for joining us in this episode of the King's Hall. Join us on Patreon uh, if you'd like to gain access to our patrons-only after-hours show where we discuss all sorts of practical things and share a toast each week. But God bless you and yours. May his face shine upon you. And remember, fest in Alente. Make haste slowly. We're not going to fix any of this in a day. But, but guess what? The Lord is conquering. God be with you.